Adventure Presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Tiff Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Roebeck, alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, it is day nine of the 48th annual Toronto International Film Festival. Traffic is going, construction is happening, helicopters are in the air, nothing stops, even when Tiff is near the end. Yeah, we, um, we're back. We did a bunch of reviews that opening weekend. Then we kind of took the week, not off, but off from reviewing things because we were seeing movies, we had other things going on, and now we're kind of catching up uh, with reviews on this final weekend. I think today might be my uh, final day as we're recording this, so... Um, life? No, no, please no. I'm terrified <laughs> of death. Uh, but uh, just of the festival. And I will have a full TIFF wrap-up probably in the next week or two where we talk about kind of our thoughts uh, on the festival as a whole, but we still have a lot more reviews that will be coming out over the next couple weeks. And uh, today we are reviewing our boy Nicolas Cage in Christopher Borgley's Dream Scenario. Matt, can I ask you a question? You can. How often do you dream about Nicolas Cage? Uh, It's not every single night, like in this movie, but it's quite often. Yes. Um, And whether he haunts my dreams whether it's he's just standing in a corner whether he just appears and looks at me um it's usually a pleasant experience and was this movie a pleasant experience it was it was quite good shot in toronto as well so yes we're talking about dream scenario a film where nicholas cage uh plays a very pitiful professor who unexplained phenomenon start happening where he's able to enter the dreams of people worldwide it seems every single person it almost seems yeah or almost everybody and he just basically for the most part at least when the the movie begins just stands there you know is it really doing anything it's like boring freddy krueger at the beginning yeah 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 middle-aged fred uh or frederick um just hanging out and just watching uh on the sidelines very voyeuristic in, in in some ways but also kind of funny in terms of it being nicholas cage playing paul matthews this um, kind of schlubby professor who's trying... It sounds weird because know what my name is. Matthew Paul. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> maybe maybe the director went into your dreams yeah, and, and found that out. Um, very biblical name, too. Yeah, it is. Uh, so you have this character who, you know, becomes a kind of celebrity based on nothing, really. It goes viral. Yes. Yeah. Um, and sort of how that parasocial relationship between fame and celebrity kind of morphs over the course of the film uh the dreams become nightmares as paul kind of becomes the antagonist of you know whether it be his students or he gets in the no community. Ducked, which if people don't know what that term is it look it up yes and in a way actually you could say that this is uh, in comparison to the weatherman because he also gets milkshake ducked Does in that he? movie yeah. quite literally a milkshake is thrown at him okay uh, in, in a scene in that movie but it's just him kind of becoming the center of attention um for better and worse as we see him slowly but surely um basically grappling with his fame and yeah. infamy um, within the community. There's this great sort of look at how a PR company, an agency, tries to, you know, take advantage That was of, the most horrifying stuff in the movie. Oh, it's a, it's amazing. And Michael Sarah's kind of the, the head of this company and trying to sell, you know, 
Paul Matthews was Sprite. Um, it could have easily become just a um, one-note gag of Nicolas Cage haunting your dreams, but there's more depth there with how Cage portrays the character and sort of the story arc in which he becomes a kind of pseudo Freddy Krueger, or yeah. or even you know, there's um, I, I mentioned this in one of my tweets. Um, there's this kind of shared relationship I think that the film has with John Carpenter's. Prince of Darkness, where the characters in that movie all start dreaming the same thing as though it's like a broadcast signal. And even more recently, uh, uh, David Pryor's um, The Empty Man had an element of, you know, people kind of dreaming up or, or seeing the same character. The shared becoming, experience. Yeah, the shared experience of, of dreams and, and whether or not it's... it's. Well, they bring up even the term um, the Mandela effect in the yes. movie as well, which it obviously clearly um, is like that too. Yeah, I this movie I, I, is great. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I uh, It's it, it's one of those movies that are right after it's done, you're like, God damn, Nicolas Cage has still got it. Where, you know, you doubt that sometimes, where you're like... After Pig, though, um, man. No, but he's great in Pig, and he's been great in, in, uh, uh, in Mud, not Mud, um, uh, what, what Joe. I think? Joe. Joe, yeah. Joe and Mud, I always get mixed up. It was the same year, wasn't it? And they both have, like, uh, uh, yeah. high sharing. Yeah, yeah, that's why. Um, but he's like Adam Sandler in the sense where, you know, he's at the point of his career, he can pretty much do whatever he wants, and, and a lot of the times, that's some not so great movies but he's making money and and you know he's doing his thing but then every once in a while he, he turns it on and you're like god damn you're you are a great actor and i think his performance in this movie as this kind of schlubby pathetic uh professor um i think the movie has more emotion in it than i was expecting i think it's funnier than i was expecting um i love the style of it the cinematography the kind of grainy film like kind of quality to it ari aster being a producer and you see some of the kind of twisted uh, and stuff that would come from maybe his side of things and um, so it's just kind of a mishmash of, a, of many different things but I also like its social commentary on you know going viral for seemingly nothing um, and then getting cancelled and kind of what it says about you know internet culture and meme culture and things like that as this truck goes by so I'm trying to kind of uh, uh, stall um, but I really kind of enjoyed it uh, from start to, to end. I think its pacing is solid. The, the way that you say it gets more nightmarish as it goes on. You joke about him being a boring Freddy Krueger and then uh, as it evolves into like almost a literal Freddy Krueger is kind of interesting. Um, while he doesn't actually kill any woman. Well, I mean, not literally. Like, it's not like... If no, he hasn't done... That, like, that's, that's where that's, the concept yeah. comes in because he hasn't done anything wrong in real life in terms of you know, uh, you know, uh, illegally or yeah. hurt anybody. Even the term milkshake duck doesn't necessarily make sense in the in this situation. Is usually when someone's milkshake duck does they go viral for something, and everyone thinks they're cute and are funny and, and admirable, and then you find out they're racist, and yeah. then you're like, oh, okay. They look into their background, yeah. and then they're like actually horrible people. Yeah. Where he's just kind of a middle-aged white dude teaching at a uh, college who's a little bit insecure and kind of is jealous of, you know, maybe some people around him and, yeah. that are being published, but he still has. You know, a great job and a family and 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 a, a wonderful and you partner. feel for him throughout the whole thing. You right? do because again, he hasn't done anything wrong, but you can also understand why people are disturbed yes. by him because of the trauma they're experiencing in the dreams. Because the dreams seem to be more lucid than you know. A, a lot of times, 
when people dream, I, I feel this way, I don't know if you do. I don't. I don't remember a lot yeah. of what I dream. So with this sort of phenomenon that's happening, and I like that it's never explained. I think that that's an important thing to mention is that the movie never goes out of its way to, to sort of like break why down like why this is happening. Yeah. It just is. And, and sometimes that's all you need. Um, and so when you're watching those moments of, of, you know, like there's this kind of a, um, shared collective therapy session with the student, the students in his class, because they're not attending his course anymore. Um, you know, having sitting in this gym and this movie all is, is mostly shot in Toronto. Uh, and you can definitely tell like, especially with the, uh, the Elgin and winter garden theater, um, which, George Brown, George Brown, Brown, which, you know, some places were shot in, in the same uh, locations as the shape of water. Um, so when you see him, you know, enter this, um, you know, gymnasium from a distance and the way that he continually walks into, you know, closer into the frame, there's, there is a kind of suspense and menace there. But the other thing that's, I think, very similar to an Ari Aster movie is that it's also daring you to laugh at somebody yeah. else's misfortune uh, because of how ridiculous and over the top it is. But it also is still very stressful for the people within you know, the, the, the group that are experiencing, you know, this man in real life who hasn't done anything but almost kind of imbues a kind of Jordan Peterson kind of quality. You know, he's he's by accident or by psychosis ending up in almost like an alt-right kind of figure in sure, a weird yeah. way, like because of the cancel culture stuff. And, um, you know, you're, you're watching this guy literally self-destruct uh, as pigeons are flying by us. Um, but the thing that I found most rewarding about the movie, you mentioned, you know, there, there is an emotional core to it. The and fart I, come. <laughs> the humor <laughs> in this movie is, it is very European. It is very Norwegian um, in terms of how it takes things that maybe are a little bit um, uncouth and, and, yeah. and uh, not kosher. And it makes them funny. And you watch somebody being you know, basically just destroying themselves yeah. on screen. And part of you is thinking to yourself, okay, this is very uncomfortable. Yes. And you uh, feel bad for many this, times for this guy. Comfortable, yeah. But then also it's kind of funny to laugh at like how ridiculous people are reacting yeah. to him uh, in situations. Like even just, you know, him minding his own business in a restaurant and a man spitting in his food where, you know, the man who's bad in his food, that's committing assault and, you know, like disruption. But yet, you know, Cage's character is the one that's being asked to leave. And that's what I mean by feeling bad for him throughout the whole thing of being like, you, you kind of see where everyone's coming from because yeah. how you, it would make other people uncomfortable, even though it's not this version of him. It's just this imaginary thing in people's minds and him doing these things and him getting canceled over. I think there's some interesting, you know, social commentary there and like, whether it's apology videos or whether it's, uh, like you said, just like uh, coming up to someone and people thinking they know you just based on you being famous and, and stuff like that. When really it's it's not even him. It's just this image of him that people uh, know. And, and yeah, I don't know. I think there's some really uncomfortable stuff there on people who recognize him in, in a, and want, you know, people who are star fuckers, essentially, quite literally in, in, in this sense, in this movie. Um, I think there's more to that, though. I know what you're is. talking yeah, about, yeah. but like in terms of like, recreating something and yes, that is yeah. like the, the 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 main set piece of this movie uh, yeah. where it feels like okay you, you're you're creating you're recreating a, a literal dream scenario 
and how you know the disappointment of real life sets in. Yeah, <laughs> it's so. And again, uh, I can't reiterate how funny that is. Right. No, it is. It is a very uncomfortable and funny sequence. Um, and yeah, I agree. That is a good metaphor too of like wanting your dreams to come true, and then it's disappointing when it literally when come it true. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very funny, um, uh, and I laughed a lot. And then it gets violent and dark at times too, and uncomfortable. In the dream sequences, I think they're all creative in the way that they yes. uh, show the dreams. Like I, I love how they're shot, and and the rep. I've never seen dreams represented in a. I'm sure many movies have, but just lately of like both in a funny way with this when Nick Cage just strolls into frame but then there are all these weird dreams people are having um, but then as people's dreams evolve and they're describing them and how they're intercut in the movie I think um, is done in a, in a really clever way and in an inventive way and in and, and a funny way and a disturbing way at times too like there are it gets very violent at certain times even though there are dream sequences but um, I yeah I thought it's an excellent little movie and I um it just makes me happy when Nick Cage delivers like a a really good performance because I know the guy's got it in him so yeah and the look of the film I really like quite a bit as well it it looks like a shot in 16 millimeter it has that kind of that grain and texture um and it that also works really well with those sequences where you know it, it, it runs the gamut of surreal to sexual to over the top and and they're very inventive for those bursts of when you know somebody's saying like oh i was walking in a field and eating a mushroom but the mushroom kind of almost looks like an ice cream cone yeah and then you know you have almost like a moment where uncle frank from hellraiser yeah. shows up and, and then cage comes in and, and like all those dreams up until you know the disruption of cage or paul matthews yes. They feel like they could be in a horror movie or yeah. even, you know, an art house film and, and feel very much atoned to the style. But, you know, like, I think one of the biggest things like Christopher Nolan got a, a criticism for with Inception is that all the dreams just felt the same, right? Like, it right. felt the, the symmetry of it was all this, all similar. With this... Where dreams are never that similar. No, this right? feels like similar. everything... There's there's a variation on, yeah. on every dream and every interaction he has Scenario. with a person yeah ex exactly and so you know like that variation really does help and and i'm not that familiar with this director's work i know that he the last film he did also came out this year theatrically uh sick of myself but it's kind of cool to see um an international filmmaker kind of tackle north american ideals and community and it's a very contemporary film and maybe that's yeah. where my one negative aspect comes in is that I do feel like maybe in a couple years from now this might be a little bit dated in terms of what it's talking about because it feels like of the moment yeah it's very reactionary in, in, in how it handles things almost you don't think like a Ryan Johnson movie in a yeah, way yeah but you don't think those things will be not necessarily timeless but like I I, I agree that it might be of its time yeah. which is now but I don't know if watching it in the future you'll people won't go oh yeah remember that it'll be like i still think prevalent in people's minds of this era being defined by some of this stuff sure so. absolutely i just think that like some people that maybe like say 20 years from now sure somebody that 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 is not even in, in existence yet right, that watches yeah. it and here's a scene where it's like oh you know uh uh what's his name tucker carlson wants yeah to the show. okay i get what you're things saying. like that yeah, where yeah, it yeah. kind of feels like okay well I get I like I I get you have, right to, now, you have to research yeah, it, you know, yeah. to, to understand some of that stuff because it's And I get what you mean commentary. with the Ryan Johnson stuff with the beginning of Glass Onion yeah. and some of the references of being like very much of that moment. And yeah. will those references 
withstand the test of time. I don't know either. Yeah. I agree with you there. And that's that's where uh, I feel like it it will date itself a little bit, even though the film itself looks um, timeless in a way, just in terms of the aesthetic and the, the the visuals within the dream world or the dreamscapes themselves are are unique and um, feel uh, you know of the person who is dreaming them, but also don't necessarily feel like they are something that um, is 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 uniform to just like one style. Like it's not just simply like the filmmakers kind of repeating the same thing over and over again. Uh, and and being so fragmented, I think also really helps with that stuff. But there is that. That's where I was kind of like, oh, I wonder how this will be even from a couple years from now. You know, like how much the landscape will change yeah. just in terms of like who's going to be the new you know asshole that we all hate, like the right. Joe Rogans, the Jordan Petersons, sure. who are all referenced here. Uh, in one way or another, but it does feel relevant to this moment. Totally. Um, yeah, I think it's a pretty accessible movie too, in the sense that it's not as uh, you know much of an art house movie than it is. But like, I I think that I mean, being the a twenty a twenty four is releasing it, yep. right? Um, yeah, that's in the in the US, in the yeah. US. Yes. Um, and I I think it's one of those movies that I don't know how well it will do, but I think it's not as uh, inaccessible as maybe uh, certain. I know A twenty four has its passionate fan base, but do you know what I mean by this? Like, I yeah, think yeah, it's, it, an, e- it it's might, an easier watch. It's than not. I it's expected. not a niche movie per yeah, se. Like, like, like I okay. don't think there's as much in there that would put people off in the sense of being like this is boring or too weird or anything like that, or too like, intimidating. Yeah, because we we both give five stars to Zone of Interest. Yes. Zone of Interest is a movie that you have to maybe do some research before know what it is um and also when you read a, a, a log line of it or a review you might think to yourself okay this this is going to be a, a difficult experience you know and, and it, that might turn some people off where this does feel like you would read the synopsis and you know the cage gimmicky angle aside it does feel like an accessible horror comedy you know like it, it, it kind of plays in that milieu of like okay let's go out on a Friday night and check out this fright flick you know and there is that aspect of it that I think people will enjoy even though there, there still is a lot of artistic flourishes yes. within it and it's a deconstruction of genre filmmaking in that way the Cravens and the Carpenters and playing within sort of making something that's you know both topical and, and has a social commentary, but is still, you know, very much embracing the genre tropes of, of which it, you know, has come before. Um, so I get what you're saying there where, like, you know, you look at some of the indie art house movies that are getting wide releases or even just elevated horror in yeah. general even, where, you know, like, you look at something like um, It Comes at Night or Midsommar or, that's or, or exa- Ari Aster That's stuff, exactly right? my point. I yeah. think, yeah, thank you for elaborating. It's like... I don't think this will be as off-putting to a general audience as some of those other movies. Like, those movies, I think they have their passionate fan base, but they are divisive films because they're marketed a certain way. And then, and then you are, get something else. Yeah, and they are a slow burn, or they're weird and artsy, or something like that. And that's what I mean by a modern audience could pop into this movie. And I think even though it's not very scary or, or anything like that, it does get violent, but, like, it's it's strange, but not too strange. It's still entertaining, because I think Nick Cage is good. I think people can relate to the cancel culture stuff and the going viral stuff and i think that's enough to kind of move the movie along to be like uh and just the the strange concept of this boring professor just popping up into people's dreams i think is a 
funny enough concept that it is accessible to uh, you know, a cineplex audience. You know what I mean? When yes, I yes. That, like, uh, it's, it's, I mean, still cineplex, a mul- multiplex too. audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, I feel like there are even Midsommar or, or Hereditary. Or, you, like, I mean, uh, even Bo is Afraid where, like, you watch, yeah. like, from that guy and then you watch it and it's too abrasive or or, or Bo is Afraid esoteric. is a great example where that yeah. did not work for, I think, like, most audiences. Yeah. Like, where this, I think there is, there's, there's the art house aspect of it there's the horror aspect there's the emotional stuff yeah. that you talked about I think Social Julianne Nicholson yeah. um, who plays uh, uh, oh, yeah. Cage's spouse is amazing in the movie he's as well she's good always too. good um, there's a, Sarah's great yeah there's it, it's it's it has a lot going for it in terms of how it can play to multiple audiences even though it still has a niche quality to it or that art house style that's still very much implemented in the filmmaking uh, but when you do have Nick Cage in the lead role, kind of playing into his own memification. Yeah, and it's about that. It kind of works. Yeah, right? and it's a, it's still a through line, but there's there's still more depth to it than just simply being one note. But I, I do agree with you there, where I, I think you are getting something that's more... Like you're you're being adver- you're being marketed like Sprite, exactly what you're you're yeah. expecting it to be, yeah. but in not a bad way. Sprite no, Sprite could be good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like the movie quite a bit. Uh, I'm not a big Sprite guy. I'm drinking a lime bubble. I like Sprite right when when it. like you're under the weather and like something like you just ate something yeah. when you're usually it's a ginger ale for me. But... Ginger ale's the best, but if you if you can't get ginger ale I like I did at that one morning, having hit. watching. Yeah, yeah, that's funny that you had a Sprite and they referenced Sprite. Some of that stuff. And then when I'm watching it, Paul Matthews, Matthew Paul, it's in Toronto. Yeah. I'm pathetic. We're um, all pathetic. I'm, I'm like, uh, you know. In I, a way, I feel like it was just interesting watching, you know, Dream Scenario and the holdovers and being like, okay, if you become a professor, professors, yeah. like this is what you aspire to. And like almost part of me wants to become that a little bit where it's like you have... I could see that in your future. You, yeah. have, you have the things that you ultimately want in life like the things that you have are like you should be satisfied yeah you know like having a good job as being a professor is amazing to me like you'd be a good film professor and i could I see think that so one too. day i want like, to have like you retire balls. yeah you're still reviewing movies but you go in and teach a couple classes per week and then yeah you're kind of not a curmudgeon but you're like i could see like uh yeah. <laughs> in your future but the level of celebrity quickly as well i think is actually very smart in terms of how it handles it because there's the celebrity in which Cage wants, which yeah. nobody else knows as an evolutionary biologist, right? Right, right? And that being his background, and he knows all these people that he's so referencing. So he wants to leverage his fame to try to To make, publish yeah. this book that he hasn't even started writing yet. But when he talks about it to Michael Sarah and, and the people in his group, nobody knows who he's talking about, yeah. right? But then when Michael Sarah's talking about, like, you know, the product placement and the fame that they want him to go towards he has no interest in that and and has real no knowledge in it i think that's an interesting piece of commentary as well right of what people uh what constitutes fame and what someone might be famous to one person and not to another but then there's stupid things that on the internet where everyone knows who that is we should know more about evolutionary evolutionary (laughs) biologists or scientists or or people that have have made amazing breakthroughs and dissertations and, 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 and articles in writing, but we don't, but yet we still know about the Kardashians and we still know about Vanderpump rules or or things like that. Someone who goes viral on TikTok for some sort of stupid video or something like that. Um, not as many TikTok references uh, as I would have thought. That would have maybe dated it a little bit more too, but I'm going to give the movie a four to five. I think it's quite good. I think there's a really good Nicolas Cage performance there. I think the social commentaries 
uh, really interesting. The horror elements are fun. The comedy is very funny. The style of the film is great. I, I, I do think it's accessible that I would suggest this to almost anyone when it comes out to be like, yeah, I think there'll be something in there that you'll enjoy, whether yeah. it's any one of those elements. Um, so I'm going to give the movie a four and five. I think it's quite good. I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five just because I felt that the commentary might date a little bit. And also I do think it is maybe a little too long for what it is. It's not a long movie. It's it an does, hour 40, but it does feel it's like... final actor epilogue, maybe I could have yeah. tightened up a little bit. But. Even that, without giving anything away, I do like the end yeah. of the movie in terms of like how something wraps up. Yeah. But I don't know if I really liked a certain development within product placement yeah, that happens. That. that kind of feels like it comes out that of left didn't field. work for me. Yeah, that... that. And that's where the humor felt a little bit almost like, okay, well, we need to inject something that's maybe a little bit more um, weirdly mainstream or make yeah. make it more mainstream, dreamstream. Yeah. Uh, so that, but it's still a, a really well done movie. As you said, Nicolas Cage is great in this film and just is an amazing middle-aged man. <laughs> like he's still perfect in it. He's great. All right, thank you all for listening or watching. We really do, I guess just listening. I forgot we're not doing video reviews. Uh, we really do appreciate it. We'll have a ton more TIFF reviews. We already have uh, 10 reviews up that you guys can list, go back and listen to right now. I'm not going to list them all up, but they're all there. If you want to find them all, head over to Letterboxd, which is untitled underscore movies. They'll all be listed there. Um, and we'll have even more over the next probably week or two that these will trickle out. Uh, we'll probably put a lot up this weekend. Um, and then uh, and then it'll trickle out over the next little while. So uh, tips wrapping up. Uh, it's been an interesting festival. We'll talk about it all over on the Untitled Movie Podcast, our other show, uh, about kind of the experience of the festival, not maybe specifically the movies. And we will cover a few movies over there that we're going to kind of package together instead of doing individual reviews, kind of doing little capsules stuff that either I only saw half of. So or, if you want a Pool Man uh, review, you're going to have to wait. Yeah, that that is one that we'll probably talk about on the Roundup show because I left 30 minutes in. Um, Spoiler. Spoilers. Um, but thank you. Uh, you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Roybe. And you can follow me on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. What was Sprite's like catchphrase? Because every uh, uh, soda or... or, or any kind of marketing campaign that's a kind of catchy point, one but and i don't remember no because mountain dew do the do you know pepsi forever young like stuff like that it's like you, you, you associate hope has just always been that's a good point sprite always i associated with like basketball and like um, a little bit yeah i remember a lot of basketball commercials for sprite and at canada's wonderland they would always have like the sprite basketball like thing where you would try to shoot the hoop and then you get a prize or whatever but i'm sure if anybody's listening to this maybe they know i don't I, but yeah you just don't like sprite doesn't have its own identity i don't think of sprite a lot but then the odd time you go to mcdonald's or you get a bottle of sprite it just fucking rips and, yeah. and you're like but it is that soda i i never grab off the shelf like i'll go to a obviously a cz first a coke zero if, if preferably a cherry coke zero then I go to, man, I usually go to like a Mountain Dew before a Sprite. And I feel yeah. like they're both in like the lemon wine, citrusy category. So I always. What will strip your hero enamel? <laughs> I always do the Dew before I. Uh, I don't Sip know. the Sprite? Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, bye. <laughs> will you dream about it? Yeah, bye, everybody. <laughs>